Hello to all our wonderful listeners and welcome to another episode of Immigrantly. I am your host Adia Khan. Before we get on topic and introduce today's guest, I want to take a moment to sit with and think of the family of Mahsa Amini and thousands of protesters who have taken to the streets of Tehran in defense of women's rights and religious freedom. Mahsa Amini, as many of you may know, was a young woman who tragically passed away this week after a brutal arrest by the Iranian government's so-called morality police. She was only 22 years old. Her death represents intolerance, systemic violence towards women, enabled by authoritarian regimes like that of Iran. be able to present yourself freely without restriction is a right of every woman or person for that matter yet around the globe this choice can be an endangering privilege and cause for arrest so it is so important that we vocally stand with those of us who don't have that freedom and emphasize the absurdity of it And while we stand in solidarity with Iranian women, we shouldn't forget that Khomeini's rise to power was partly fueled by the US and UK's meddling in Iranian democracy. A lot of people are equating the hijab to oppression of women in Muslim countries. To me, this line of reasoning can be used in the West to solidify West's rhetorical commitment to rescuing Muslim women from oppression, in many instances rationalizing war for the greater good of emancipating Muslim women. At the end of the day, we should respect a woman's right to choose whether she chooses to wear hijab or let her hair show. Moving on, our guest today just so happens to be an expert on self-expression, and I am so excited to welcome her on our podcast today. Taiwanese-born Romana Lai is a renowned editorial makeup artist who's worked with many of the fashion industry's leading names and publications, including Vogue and Harper's Bazaar. She's worked on shows for New York Fashion Week, French Connection, and many others. She's also a published author. Her book New York Style is a worldwide bestseller, and I'm so happy to welcome Romana to Immigrantly today. This interview is a bit different because in addition to my conversation with Romana, I also asked our team to share their makeup tricks and how do they perceive the concept. I hope you enjoy it. So let's get started. Mana, I'm so excited to have you on Immigrantly. And just an FYI, I don't know how to do makeup at all. My makeup skills are rudimentary at best. So fair warning during the interview, I will probably pick your brain for personalized makeup tips. Oh, okay. I was a bit scared as well. I was like, "Oh my gosh, I don't know how to do makeup." And she'll probably judge what I have done because no. I dial it up a notch with red lipstick and that's my go-to thing. Mm. I don't know anything else, but I have seen your Instagram and it looks fantastic. The kind of makeup that you've done, it looks so refined and it accentuates people's faces 
And I wonder, where did this journey start? What drew you to makeup initially? And what does being a makeup artist mean to you? I'm originally from Taiwan, so I moved to New York about 13 years ago. My makeup artist journey started from a barbershop. Actually, oh. when I was eight years old, my mom always go to the barbershop because as housewife, she had nothing to do in the afternoon. When I was always really bored at the barbershop and listen to the woman chat to each other when I was eight years old, I feel like this is super boring. But uh, later on, I find out there's a fashion magazine on the table. I remember it's called Vogue or L, something like a big fashion magazine. When I turn every page, look at the pictures and to see all the wardrobe, I'm like, oh my God, I want to be part of this world. It's so fascinated. Yeah, it's not like my dream, but originally I want to become a fashion designer. But later on, I don't know, somehow my journey bring me to become a makeup artist. I was studying hair and makeup in Japan, in Tokyo, almost 20 years ago. So I became a makeup artist. At the beginning, I'm thinking, I wasn't sure, like, uh, is this something I really want to do? Because my makeup career was not so smooth at the beginning, because as a makeup artist, it's related to a lot of communication. People have to like you, and uh, you have to impress people all the time. But it's just not how I am. I'm an introvert. I like mm. to painting. I like color. I like to read. I like to watch movies, listen to the music. I not really like to be social, lies to other person all the time. So at the beginning, my makeup career was really tough. Why did you decide to go to Japan to learn makeup? This is the most fashionable country back then, 20 years ago. <laughs> it's ahead in Asia. <laughs> and how long did you stay in Japan? I was staying in Japan about three years, and I started in Japanese language uh, the first year. And two years, I was at a beauty school and also work as well. So were you working under somebody's apprenticeship? No, I just like working in the restaurants. <laughs> so what fascinated you about makeup in those early days? I believe it's a cosmetic. It really fascinated me. And also to see all those beautiful models put the makeup on and have a nice wardrobe and nice hair makeup style. I'm like, this is so beautiful. It's so unreal. Hi, I'm Zia and I'm a content writer here at McGrinley. I'm new to the team and I was so excited to have this opportunity to talk a little bit about my perspective on makeup and what fascinates me about what it can achieve. I feel like many people like to define makeup as a way to enhance your already existing features rather than changing your appearance. I started experimenting with makeup when I was around 16, having previously only worn a little eyeliner at parties and stuff. Initially, I was drawn to the most colourful makeup products I could find, finding myself veering towards the sparkly eyeshadow palettes and highlighter pants and boots. Having zero knowledge as to how to change my bone structure with the magic of contouring, I liked the idea of accentuating my eyes, because that was the place I could have the most fun with colour and glitter without looking extremely questionable. I treated makeup as a way to express what I was feeling in an artsy way on my face, smearing whatever colour best described my emotional state across my eyelids, like a powdery mood ring. I have pretty big eyes and I've been told that they are very expressive, so enhancing them with fun colours and sparkles made me feel like a little cartoon character that showed their innermost feelings in a little speech bubble above my head. Except the speech bubble can be seen best when I close my eyes. And you mentioned you're an artist, right? So you like painting. And makeup is an art form. 
it's basically the canvas in this case is a person's face. What fascinates you the most about enhancing somebody's features? What really drives you to do that? At the beginning, I just simply like the packaging of the cosmetics, and I love all the commercial. Back then, they do a lot of really luxury commercial, and I like all the vibe and all the design and all the color they put together. When I really working at the fashion industry 13 years ago, when I moved to New York, I was really enjoying working with all the beautiful people, like models, all the cool and talented artists. Sometimes it's like, oh my God, why I'm even here? Everything is. So unreal. Every picture, there's a story behind it. Tell us a story about a picture, an incident, something that happened that really stuck with you. All the picture because makeup artists always working with a team, like a photographer, models, and crew, and also wardrobe stylists. Actually, it's a big team. So sometimes, like we want to capture one picture at the middle of the nowhere at midnight, and we can waiting for an hour in the cold wind just capture the small lighting cars can buy. Something like that—that that was really interesting because I feel like everyone has to be really passionate about it to make that happen. Because、uh, I cannot imagine if I'm working on some kind of office, my boss asked me, "You have to go middle of the nowhere at midnight waiting on the wind." It's not、right. the same feeling. <laughs> not the same. Yeah. So I was really enjoying that. The profession itself、um, is a bit unorthodox, as you explain it, right? So you may be doing a shoot in the middle of nowhere at night. What does that look like? Paint us a picture of a day or a shoot that you really enjoyed. Because my makeup journey is really interesting. I don't have、uh, any particular kind of feel. Like I'm fashion makeup artist or a bridal fashion bridal makeup artist or. Because it's a really different category, but I kind of did everything already. I did film. I had an experience working at a film and commercials, fashion, and fashion week and events. How is working as a makeup artist for a film crew different from working with models, say in New York Fashion Week? How is it different logistically? What are the dynamics for each, and which one do you enjoy more? You asked me what's the most challenge I did before. It was the film. Oh, it was. <laughs> yeah, I done a documentary film like for three months. Not documentary film. It's an independent film. So I'm an immigrant. The language barrier is there. <laughs> I cannot say I can one hundred percent can understand the script sometimes, and also the culture wise. And my independent film story. There's a three women have a different background. They are immigrant as well, and local people as well, and they have a three different story. Line, but somehow their life interact at some point. So the three months I have to pretty much go time back, time forward, time interact.、Yeah. I think for the film, it's about relate to a lot of culture thing,、mm-hmm. like how you grow up, and then you can understand that background a little bit better. But if you don't have that experience when you grow up differently, and I, because I grew up with soy milk. How does that translate into what kind of makeup you do and your work? Because for the film, it's more about creative the character, and you have to totally understand who is this person from, who they are, their lifestyle, imagination. It's all about that. But my background, I grew up, it's really totally different, opposite. So it's really sometimes hard time to understand the people actually grow up maybe in the Midwest or how they grow up. I cannot get it. So makeup is manifestation of 
the character itself. But in New York Fashion Week, it's models, right? And they're just walking down the ramp. There's less focus on a story or a narration. I think if I want to, I can do a lot of research to understanding all the right. cultural difference of that. Like people grow up in Brooklyn, like in the 80s, how they look like, how they right. dress, how they react, how the makeup look like. Oh, wow. That's yeah, a that, lot. That's a lot. And that is interesting. I'm sure you've learned a lot about what people wore, how they looked back in, I don't know, 80s, 70s. Did you learn anything that was really shocking or surprising? Yes, I did, starting a little bit for my fashion editorial story. I I did research like a lot of elements from the back then, like when the 20s, 60s, 70s, how they look like and how the makeup style look like. I also mix with my Asian background <laughs> to create my story. <laughs> I don't copy 100% from the vintage from the back then. Hi, I'm Michaela, and I'm one of the content writers for Immigrant League. And I think that one of the biggest ways that makeup has become a vehicle for self-expression is that it's no longer just about beauty standards. There are certainly beauty standards attached to the conversation that I think are important to discuss as well. But I also think that there's a sort of branch of makeup and beauty that has become about art and creativity as well. And that it's not just about trying to achieve a certain look, but about trying to experiment and be creative and find different looks that you like to share on a day-to-day -day basis, sort of like clothing or other accessories or even piercings, different jewelry. I think that people use it in that way a lot of the time, similar to how you change your clothing every day, people change up their makeup looks every day, which can be really fascinating and really interesting, especially for me, I don't personally wear makeup. And so I don't know all of the ins and outs of colors and palettes and blending. Uh, it's all a bit of a different world for me, but I think that's what makes it all the more interesting is how people are able to use makeup to do all of these things and change their image on a day-to-day -day basis based on how they're feeling similar to clothing. And I also think that the internet plays a big role in that because in this day and age in particular, people around my age, younger, a little older, we can use the internet as a way to sort of share and learn from others. And so you're passing the creativity around a little bit. You're passing around this art form. You're learning about other styles, other colors, other ways of doing the things that you enjoy doing. And I think that that is yet another way that we can expand this creativity, pass it around a little bit and each be mini Picassos, uh, which, is, which is really cool. So let's talk about today and in this digital age of face tuning and filters. In what ways do you feel that the use of makeup can either positively or negatively affect young people who may feel the pressure to alter their appearances? Because when I go on YouTube and I see Instagram, everybody is trying to contour, right? So there's so much contouring, nose contouring, high cheekbones, your jawline should look a certain way. And I'm like, there's so much pressure. How do you see that? Yeah, my makeup philosophy is I try to really keep as less as I can. Yeah, I can see that. And I've seen that on your Instagram. I can see that on you right now. We are sitting right across from each other and you have very subtle, nice makeup. What do you think young people are focused on nowadays? Like, what do you think is their philosophy or do they have one when it comes to makeup? 
I think they just pretty much a beauty trend. Then they just follow the Instagram and follow the social media or celebrities. That's pretty much become a young age philosophy for the makeup. What do you think? Does that help or hurt people the way they look at themselves or the way they value self-worth in a way? I feel like social media really have a heavy makeup. I think it also bring a lot of pressure as a woman because I feel like sometimes I watch the content, I'm like, how early I have to wake up in the morning to yes. achieve this look? Two hours. <laughs> Let's talk about that. <laughs> So do we really need like 50 steps to do makeup, like contouring, powder, foundation, so many layers of eyeshadow? Is that necessary? No. <laughs> for me, everyone are different because all the makeup artists have a different style. For my styles, I really like a simple effortless makeup and keep some small products. For me, I probably use five products for my makeup. Let's talk about those five products. So what are the five products that you use for your makeup or to do makeup for models or actors that you interact with? What are those five sewn by products, tips, advice you have? The first mile, I definitely use a sunblock. It's important. Mm -hmm. Yeah, don't like under sun too much. And second, I will use foundation and concealer, just a really little foundation. And eyebrow products, I definitely recommend eyebrow products and mascara, lip color, that's it. <laughs> so no blush? Depends. Sometimes I don't necessarily use brush that much, but definitely I don't use contour every day because the contour, I think it's certain way is really good on the camera or on the video, but for every day, I think it's too much. And it shows, right? If somebody's done a lot of contouring in person, if you're sitting across from them or interacting with them, you can see that. My understanding for the makeup is just like a wardrobe. You don't let your wardrobe over you or you don't let your makeup over you and yourself disappear. <laughs> right. So let's talk about that. You have second skin approach to makeup. But for a non-professional like myself who has no idea about makeup, or anything to do with makeup. And I don't know how many of our listeners know about it. Can you talk a little bit about what that approach is without sounding too technical? What is your second skin approach to makeup? I think a good coverage of the concealer definitely help, especially right now, a lot of people are on the Zoom meeting. So a good coverage of the concealer and a little foundation to correction redness or some kind of like a sun damage, because mostly it's redness. That's really definitely help. And it feel like you didn't even wear the makeup, just like your natural skin. I like that idea. So I have this pet peeve, right? So I don't wear foundation. I don't know why, but in my mind, I am just conditioned to think that foundation is just fake, which is crazy, right? I've done microblading, so I don't know if fake even makes sense because I will go for some things that are fake and others that are not. For somebody like me who doesn't like to wear foundation, what do you think I should wear instead if I want to be foundation free? Is there something else that can replace it? I feel like if your skin condition is really good, you don't necessarily wear foundation. So even if I am doing Zoom or stuff, I don't have to if my skin looks fine. Interesting. I like that. What is the scene like in the background where everybody's getting ready? Makeup, clothes, hair. Paint us a picture of the backstage chaos during New York Fashion Week. I hear this comment a lot. Like uh, people always mention about The backstage is crazy, the fashion industry is crazy, but not for me. <laughs> 
I never had this kind of experience. But my most interesting story was, I think it's doing or before the pandemic, like two, three years ago, I remember I did the show for a Chinese designer like three years ago. Then the COVID just happened and Asian just died like a lockdown. And so all the models thought about, I'm from Wuhan <laughs> or China. Everyone was scared when I did their makeup and they will question me like, are you still hand clean or that? I feel like it's really not respectful. I don't want to label myself or think about something else, but that was a really interesting experience for me because for my 60 year lead makeup artist for New York Fashion Week, experiences never happened to me before. I mean, that's racism plain and simple, right? And that is so wrong on so many levels. So I have heard some really interesting stories about Korean beauty. We see it's becoming more mainstream in the U.S., but then there is a lot of focus in Korea from what I've read and what I've seen on plastic surgery. I was talking to one of our guests who's Korean-American, and she was telling me that when she goes back to Korea, people will advise her to get plastic surgery for whatever, right? Which is crazy. Do you see that happening in places like Taiwan, Japan, or do you think it's very specific to Korea? I think it's happening everywhere now. You think so? Even in the U.S.? Yeah. What kind of surgeries are becoming more common in the U.S. when it comes to enhancing features? I feel in U.S. is lip filler. It's so interesting you bring that up. So growing up in Pakistan, I was always conscious because I thought people would make fun of me because of my full lips. It was always an issue and I hated it. And now we see everybody getting lip fillers. Not too bad then, right? So that's one thing that you see happening a lot. In terms of makeup, what are some of the specific trends that you see in the U.S. in terms of makeup? Do you think makeup in the U.S. is more loud? It's more subtle? Is there focus on specific feature or specific kind of color that you're seeing now? I feel like in U.S., there's two ways. Either like a no makeup, really casual, and another side is like a lot of makeup, like really sexy kind of Kim Kardashian kind of. Yeah, Kim Kardashian. Oh my gosh. Could you break down that look for us, Romana? Like, what do you think of that look? And how long do you think it takes to create that look? One hour, one and a half. Oh my gosh. Like every day? Yeah, every day. That's a lot of work. Yeah. So you see two extremes in the U.S. No makeup or Kim Kardashian. So there's no middle ground. I think it used to be really past few years ago when the beauty company developed a lot of products. And the makeup style is different. I remember 2008, I moved to New York. Back then, the makeup style is really simple. Not so much like a skincare product, like a foundation and the contour, nothing. Everything are really natural. At some point, when uh, all the brands start developing makeup and skincare and cosmetics, and then I look at uh, social media, people actually wear too much makeup. So you think it's makeup brands driving that change? Yeah, definitely. How do you see the future of makeup in America shift? Do you think people will shift back to subtle makeup, or do you think this trend is just going to continue? I think after the pandemic, people working from home a lot, definitely the beauty style will change because I feel like when the people working remote, they have more time to go out, to stay home, to do something not at office. So they probably will more focus on the skincare. So between skincare and makeup, what would you prefer? What do you think people should focus more on? There's no right and wrong answer because for me, makeup is not a standard procedure. <laughs> it's for me, it's like an abstract, like a creating the R. 
And sometimes, like、uh, you are cooking something, you can have something different. There's no right and wrong answer. It's depending what you like and how you feel good about yourself. That's most important. So I try not to judge too much of the beauty trend, even I don't like it or I don't understand about it. As long the person is happy and they feel good about themselves, I think this is magic and miracle. The cosmetic and beauty can bring to the person.、Mm. That's most important. So it's basically what a person wants out of it, right? So it's a very personal choice. Some people like more makeup, some people like less makeup. Do you think people should follow trends, or they should do what looks good on them, or what they feel comfortable with? For me, I will add a little bit of trend, the color. Because it's related to the fashion, so sometimes the development of fashion collection is really colorful. My makeup will become more colorful, more chill. Hi, my name is Ashley Lanuza, content writer for Immigrantly, based in Los Angeles, California. Growing up, I heard a lot of comments about my skin color. You're too dark. You go out in the sun too much. You need to wear long sleeves in 100 degree weather. And honestly, they didn't really bother me. I mean, I was a kid. I was having so much fun, so who cares? But when I was in my twenties, I dyed my hair platinum blonde. A family member actually told me that I looked prettier because my hair made my skin look lighter, and I just thought that's pretty effed up. And I think it really shows the impact of colonization for the Philippines, specifically with the Spanish and the U.S. beauty standards. And this could be really, really damaging to one's psyche and how they perceive themselves. I mean, you could even just see products from these countries, like the Philippines and India, that have these widening soaps to get whiter, and it just perpetuates this idea that white is a beauty standard when that could be just further from the truth. I want to talk a little bit about. Standards of beauty. So we've talked about your training and work that led you to many locations around the world before you settled in the U.S. And I'm sure you must have seen many contrasting standards of beauty shaping each country's cosmetic and fashion industries, right? So whatever standard of beauty exists in Taiwan and Japan may be different from what exists in Paris, London, or even U.S. And I wonder, based on your travels. How far do you think there is emphasis on Eurocentric features being the ideal than beauty industry in the West and people in the East? Do they approximate themselves to standards of beauty that exist, say, in Europe or in the U.S.? How do they view themselves in reference to that? I think this is more related to fashion design. They adopt the Western element more to Asian fashion design. But for makeup wise, is because I think Asian, especially Taiwan and Japan, we are not something similar like a Westerner, right? At all. <laughs> But is their focus on say lighter skin, or is their focus on certain features that they may approximate to European countries or the U.S.? I guess it's a color contact.、Mm-hmm. A lot of Asian fashion wear like a color contact. Sometimes wear that too. <laughs> I think that's something related. If you want to say something more similar, like、uh, the beauty of the Westerner, I think that's 
can be related. Do you think there's been a shift in recent years to move away from Eurocentric beauty standards? Still not, listen, because I feel like when I look at Instagram right now lately, the beauty trend from the Westerner country, especially U.S. and Europe, totally different too, because U.S. is more color eyeshadows, color metallic glitters, and European beauty trends really still really natural and elegant. But in Asia, we have a different type of fashion. We not put a lot of glitter on their stuff. Not really our colorful eyeshadow, but we do have our own beauty trend. So break it down for me. What are some of the different beauty trends in each region? So we'll start with Asia, then Europe, and then the U.S. The beauty trend in Asia before was more lip color. So dark lip color? No, the dark lip color is kind of like not pink, but it's more like dark brown, light brown, something like that. Something like a more neutral. And the rest of the face? We definitely like lighter foundation too, because Asian people, like they don't like to tan on the sun. Yeah, I see that in Pakistan yeah. a lot. People don't go out in sun. They yeah. try to protect themselves more. Yeah, and a lot of skincare. That's always fun in Asia. What are some of the makeup trends that we will see in fall? Definitely, like, sometimes it's darker color. But uh, this year, after the fashion week, I feel like a lot of brands are focused a little bit eyeliner. So I guess the next trend will be a little bit eyeliner or focus on eyes a little bit more, like mascara. I like that. This was so much fun, Romana. And in the end, if you were to define America in a word or a phrase, how would you do that? I think it can make your dream happen and also as immigrant really challenge at the same time. But at the end, everything is worth it. Yeah, that's true. I like that. Thank you so much for this. And if people want to get more information about you, if they want to learn about your makeup, if they want to maybe book an appointment with you, where should they go? Is there an Instagram they should go to? Is there a website? What would you recommend? You can go on my Instagram, Romana117. That's R-O-M-A-N-A-1-1-7. So you can follow me on Instagram to book me. Thank you so much, Romana. This was wonderful. Thank you so much for having me. So, believe it or not, Romana is our first ever makeup artist on this show. And I learned so many tips from her. And by the way, she promised me some goodies. So I'm really excited. We may even announce a giveaway for all of you listeners. So stay tuned. I hope you're following us on Twitter at Immigrantly underscore pod and Instagram at Immigrantly pod. This episode was produced by me, Sadia Khan. Written by Zia Jaffrey and me. Our editor is Manny Simone. And editorial review was done by Yudi Liu. Until next time, take care.